All right, we're gonna get started. It's kind of given t- a little bit of time for trickle, but the, uh, I think that uh, oh, there's they're still coming in. I know they sprung that on us. Like I had no idea what was going on until I was I just beat I just came through right as they were closing. Oh. Let me uh, let me pray for us and then we'll uh, we'll get started. Father, I just ask that uh, as we look at um, the topic of what biblical masculinity is tonight, I pray that we would just learn and that uh, we would um, be able to just understand to a greater degree what the Bible has to say about being um, a man, a male, uh, being masculine, um, and that um, as a result of of really looking at your word tonight, that we would be changed as a result of that, and that we would... uh, We'd at least walk out of here with a, a greater degree of, of understanding and, and maybe what the Bible is calling us to as men. It's in your sons and we pray. Amen. All right. So I didn't know how many. We're starting to get a few more. Tell you, we'll just do group discussion as long as if you'll, if you'll promise me that you will talk if I ask questions. So usually it's easier to get guys to talk if it's smaller groups, but... Um, I thought we could do like the spin around thing and talk to each other, but I think with the numbers here, just, oh, sorry. no, you're good. <laughs> no, it's it. Sorry. We're not talking. Yeah, this is just awkward. Any girl, girls are not going to go to the bathroom tonight. So we'll just, but y'all welcome them into the women's restroom and tell them it's okay to come into our class. Um, so question, how would you answer your son? Or if you don't have kids, imagine, um, your son, or someone maybe you're mentoring or discipling, another man, if they asked you the question, what does it mean to be a boy as opposed to be a girl, or a man rather than a woman? Yeah, I'll tell you, this is a discussion question. So I'm, I'm like, just what would you say? Just very common, you know, question you get in a, in a discussion. What would you, how would you answer that? What does it mean to be a man? Like, what's the essence of being a man? Some answers can be complicated, maybe, but some answers aren't going to be complicated. Yes. We will talk about penises tonight. So if that's, I'm just going to, I'll say it first. Penis. Penis, penis. Now we're, we're clear. We're good. We clearly err on that. So that's right. Physically. What else? Wow. Where'd you, I've never heard that. The three P. Say them again. Okay. That's good. Okay. Anything to add to that? If, I know the first time, it wasn't that long ago. It was before I had my son, but... Like when somebody first asked me that question and asked, what would I say? I, I, it, took me a, it took me a few minutes because I, I uh, like even theologically, I didn't know how in, in, a, in a very succinct way in a conversation just to give an answer to that question. Like what, like what does it truly mean to be um, a man or to be, to be male? And so that's, that's uh, really the heart of what we're going to get at tonight. Um, and so here's a little bit of a roadmap. Um, Tonight, we're not going to talk about specifically what it means to be made in God's image. We're not talking about what it means to be a Christian. Okay, with the time we have, we now have 45 minutes. We're going to get very narrow to be what does the Bible have to say about masculinity, manhood? What does it mean to be a man? Um, and one of, the, one of my goals tonight is that you would at least just start thinking about it. Like if you haven't thought how to answer that question and are you living your life with that question in mind, or is that a question that you've never really thought about? I would encourage you to, to hopefully this, this provokes you to think about that question more often. Um, and I think it's important. And also, um, another thing, so provoke that question, but also um, I'm going to give a ton of information tonight. I've got slides. I'm going to go quick. I'm going to go fast. And it's, it's going to be a content dump in some ways. And But hopefully there's something in here that you grab onto. You can look look more into later on your own 
or we can talk about it later because all this stuff has a lot of different directions we can go on it. But so one, it's to provoke you to ask that question. And number two, hopefully there's something that you can grab out of tonight um, that will be helpful um, to you. And I think um, one of the, I think, reasons why we're talking about this tonight, before we get into maybe some more practical things, is that I think um, this idea of what is the essence of masculinity and femininity or males and females, what is the essence, what, is it, what does it mean to be a male and a female, um, had become um, muddied, it, the, the world has become confused. And those of us, especially who ha- don't have kids that are planning on having kids um, or have young children now, like we need to figure this out. Like we need to figure out how to talk to our kids about this. Um, and we always want to obviously talk through the lens of the Bible and of the scripture. And so hopefully tonight gives some, some handles for that. Um, but I, I do think if, if you don't think this is complicated, then I would, I would like to persuade you otherwise. Um, that it, it's, it's muddied, it's confused, it's confusing. And I think, um, even for guys, my age and even me, I, I, I wrestle with, um, kind of the way I was raised, um, the way my dad was, that's all I saw at least growing up was my dad. And so my dad was a pretty good father. Uh, but still he was, he had a certain way he acted. This is when he probably thought about what does it mean to be a man? He had his ways. And so I'm shaped by those ways, whether I like that or not. And I'm sure all of you have stories about your dad thinking about how you were raised and how you watched him growing up. And so um, I think a lot of confusion, a lot of muddy water here. But the first part of tonight, I'm just going to go quickly through um, seven distinctives between men and women. Okay. And there it's, I've put everything on these slides. And so I have notes for these. If you just want to be emailed the notes later, I can do that, but you need to come ask me for those and I'll get those to you. But I put everything up here because I'm going to go quick. And, um, so I want you, it all to be up here. Uh, I'll tell you this first part, especially is like 90% just taken from one guy, um, who writes really well on this, who I like, I think he's very biblical. I think he's nuanced. His name's um, Andrew Wilson, and he's a pastor in England. Um, and we see, you know, eye to eye on most things. But I think especially with gender, and I think because of his context, I think when he talks about male and female, he's very nuanced. Um, he doesn't just throw things out there and just kind of expect everyone to believe him because of the culture he's in. He's had to wrestle with these things, think through transgender issues, think through a lot of these things. And so I think he's very solid and he's very biblical. Um, And so he did this, um, this, this, this talk and I, I've, it's the best, the best that I've heard on these topics. So this is kind of some highlights from his talks and I've added a few things here and there, but um, so these are distinctives between men. I got to do this. I'm not used to being the responsible one for this. Okay. So seven distinctions between men and women, and these aren't to, we're not going to necessarily talk about the, the, the lady side of these things. We're going to gear this towards men, but we're doing it in a way that's kind of a little bit of a comparison. So um, the first um, kind of set of ideas, well, actually, let's do this first. Sorry. My notes. Are... So a couple of things when we're talking about this. Yeah, we have time. So we're talking about gender, and these will be helpful if you get into conversations, if you're ever teaching, um, especially, um, is that... Got everything on there. It's got everything on there. Um, So general statements versus absolute statements. So when you're talking about these things, um, uh, make sure that you're communicating and it's nuanced enough that you're talking in generalities rather than absolutes. And make sure you kind of warn or talk through whoever's listening to you. These are generalities. So when you hear these, don't take these as absolutes. For example, men are taller than women. Um, That's a very true statement if it is general in the sense that on average, most men are taller than most women. And clear data science says that men on our average are 13 centimeters taller than women on average. Okay, does that mean every single man is taller than every single woman? No, that would be an absolute statement. But this is a general statement. Another one. Men are stronger than women. Again, only true if I meant that on average, a man can beat a woman a woman at arm wrestling, so physical strength. In general, men are stronger physically. That's a, that's a general statement. Um, um, Peter, 1 Peter 3.7, a, a text that completely gets mangled a lot. Peter makes a general statement when he calls women the weaker vessel. OK, 
Okay, he's not saying that women are weaker in all areas all the time, just in general. Um, and so, yeah, there at the bottom, the confusion comes in when the speaker speaks in absolute statements and uh, um, here, here's an absolute statement. So there is one line that's cut off there. Um, sorry. Chris, is there any way to change that? Probably not, huh? That's probably my fault when I built the slide. Um, okay. No worries. Um, so, get the idea. So, second one. Uh, equality versus dignity. Um, we talk about this a lot at the church, but um, men and women are equal in value, worth, and dignity. Um, so they're, they're, they're equal. We're equal. But confusion exists in our culture because the word equal means something very different to the world than it does in the church. Okay, So we say equal, we mean in value and in worth and in dignity, but not necessarily in role or responsibility, as the Bible would lay out. But oftentimes... In the world, when you talk about equal, it's equal in every single way, role, responsibility. So equal, making sure we define that word depending on the context that we're talking about. Um, you know, kind of explain there. Culturally, the word equal means sameness. Biblically, equal means equal dignity. Um, and the third kind of landmine to watch out for, and I think this is the most important one. Um, oughts versus is when we talk about what a man should be. So ought. If you want to be a real man, you ought to hunt, fish, shoot guns, drive a truck, drink black coffee, brew beer, grow a beard, have sex with your wife every day, eat red meat, love football, etc. Like so, like just kind of be aware when when these ought statements get thrown around as what a man ought to be. It's probably not at the best place to start. Okay, it probably is not the essence of what a man is. Is any of those things. Um, Christian men's culture is oversaturated with ought talks. Um, maybe over stereotypical, but I do think there's this, there's this uh, um, tendency to get a bunch of men together and ought them f- first and say, this is what you ought to be. This is how you ought to act. Um, and I think, I don't know if this is simply an overreaction, but um, probably should change the word there. But I think it, it can be an overreaction to the feminization of society. Um, there are all commands in scripture to men. There are, but they all flow from our identity as a man in Christ first. So all of the ought commands are is based. Okay. So we are humans. We are Christians based off of what Jesus has done. We are men who happen to be Christians based off of, um, we are Christians who happen to be men based off of what Jesus has done. And then the, the ought commands can kind of be thrown out there if they line up with the scripture. And so, again, ought versus is, just be careful there. So here are the distinctives I mentioned earlier. So the first two words here, um, looking at Genesis, read Genesis 1, 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form. The Hebrew word there is tohu. Okay, that's important. That's, and then the, the next word, and void, is bohu. Okay, And darkness was over the face of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So Genesis 1, 1 and 2. Now, there are not a lot of places in the scriptures where we can go that God really simply lays out, hey, here's what a man is and here's what a woman is. There's not a lot there in the scriptures. Um, There's a lot of descriptive type things and stories and in the narratives and those kinds of things. But um, there's not very many places where you can go to try to get an an idea of, of how God saw men and women differently, okay? And this is one of the places that Andrew Wilson, this guy, has gone to, and he, he thinks that there's something here to this, okay? Um, and so tohu, this first word there, without form, um, formless, without form, uh, bohu meaning void and empty, okay? So just kind of keep that in mind, tohu meaning without form, bohu, void and empty, okay? Um, so there are two major problems. The earth is formless, and it needs to be ordered, governed, and subdued. The earth is empty, and it needs to be filled, given life, abundance, and relationship. Okay? So if you trace tohu and bohu, that's a thread that follows throughout Genesis 1, 2, and 3. Okay? Uh, the creation account depicts God forming and filling. Days 1 through 3, if you're here with the Genesis series, I used some of this during um, those sermons. Days 1, 1 through 3. Uh, God forms, he orders, he governs. If you look at those days and how that laid out in creation. Days four, five, and six, he filled, he gave life. So he created the structure and then he filled the structure. 
Um, and then uh, he gives humans the same twofold function, subdue the earth, one. Okay, so that kind of goes along with the one through three days, and then two, be fruitful and multiply. So there's those threads still running through this. Um, and then in chapter three, there's this gender-related job description, um, especially in the context of the creation of men and women. Uh, men are, are designed by God to bring order, safety, and govern the world. Women are designed to bring relationship, community, harmony, and life to the world. If you look at the curses in Genesis 3, the curses it, where men was cursed, it was in work, working the ground. That was kind of their, their curse. And um, Genesis 3 mentions the woman's curse was in relation to childbearing. Okay? And so, again, what Wilson's trying to do here is trace these two words to try to get some idea. Is there a... Is there something in Genesis 1, and 3, 1 through 3 that tells us, gives us insight into what they, the primary role of a man is and what a primary role of a woman is? Um, so, those words will probably catch you off guard there. Um, so, first one. So, uh, tohu and bohu. Because that's the first distinction here. If you look at Genesis 1 through 3, um, I think there is some, um, there's, there's a case here to be made that these words were used intentionally and these ideas come up through Genesis 2 and Genesis 3, okay? So that's one distinction from the Bible we can go to to see it seems to be some difference God had in mind between women and men and it shows up in all three chapters, Genesis 1, 2, and 3. Okay, next, and I'll stop after I get through all this. Penis and vagina, okay? Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Okay, so this idea goes to biology. Okay? We were created by God to be biologically different. Okay? Um, obviously, that was mentioned earlier. Um, we're different biologically. Okay? Um, have you ever thought about how totally pointless that is? Um, it's very possible for creatures to reproduce asexually. You don't have to create a pair of distinct people, but God does. So in the created universe, God could, could, have, created, um, could have created the process of procreation to happen anyway, but he chose to have men have penises, females have vaginas to be able to do that. Why did he do that? Because he wanted, I think, to, to show off the differences, to show that there's different things he's created that come together and produce life. Okay, so God creates a pair that even by their physical form express a level of complementarity. Um, this, this is insightful. I hadn't really thought of this um, until I started doing some studying the difference in location of the body parts. Um, um, a man's biology is externally focused, and a woman's biology is in internally focused. Having sex and bearing children takes place inside the woman physically, but outside the man physically. Okay? Um, and so, um, you just think about that. Like, think about how even not just the fact that we have different parts, but how they fit together. Uh, one takes the place inside one takes the play to, is, is more um, for the outside and how our how, how child uh, children uh, conceived, where do children grow inside their mothers inside okay um, this makes a statement about the essence of gender um, because of the huge importance for the protection of women okay so there's something special about women that need to be protected. Okay? Even in the ways God designed us to procreate makes a statement about the essence of our gender. Okay? If women are the ones who are um, keeping life um, going inside of them, why didn't he design men to do that? Why did he design a woman to um, have the responsibility for bearing children? Okay? Um, and then that, that movie about infertility, it's, I don't have time to get into that, um, but kind of gets into this idea of, of, of women need to be protected, um, this idea about infertility and um, these high rates of infertility, so women need to be protected because they're the ones who are actually carrying on the reproduction 
of humans in this particular society. So everyone in that society was like a no-brainer that they needed to protect women because they were the ones who were bearing the children. Um, kind of go along biologically, for, uh, we've known this for a long time. Until very recently, only men went to war for the most part. Um, in the movie Titanic, in that movie, um, there are, um, in most historical accounts of the Titanic, the men, for the most part, were the ones giving up their boats to the women and children. In that movie, you see some examples chaotically there when men are jumping on the rafts in front of women. That's not the way it happened, um, according to uh, most historical accounts. Um, the Aurora, Colorado shooting that happened um, several years ago. Um, there were stories that came out after that that there were three men who died in those shootings because they actually laid down on top of their dates or their girlfriends or their wives, um, basically shielding them from the bullets of the shooter. They were lauded heroes. Um, and there was this, if you were to ask them and ask other men, there's this like thing that it's, it's kind of built inside of us that says, yeah, duh. Like if, if women... If men were the ones like getting down and women started jumping in front of the bullets, society would probably think that was, they would probably be more of a uh, kind of condemnation on men than anything else. So there's something inside of us that says uh, men should protect women and women deserve to be protected. Um, if it gets into it here. Um, but yeah, middle of the night. Middle of the night, especially those of you who are married. Uh, bump in the night. How many of you guys send, send her down to take a look? Hey, babe, can you go take a look at that? Like, I mean, it's a silly example, but there's something intuitive that that shows that it's like, I don't care how physically imposing you are. I don't care if you have a gun or no gun. Okay, if your wife has a black belt and you don't have one, like more than likely you're going to be the one or she's going to be one to tell you, hey, Go take a look at this, okay? Um, why? And we don't, we don't like argue about that. We're like, well, why don't you do it? We're equal. Like, like you should go, ha- like I went last time. You should go this time. Like we don't do that. We just, we just go. So there's something like built in that helps us in that situation. Um, moving on. These will get a little quicker. Guard helper. So continuing on in the, the, the creation account, Genesis 2.15, um, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Um, we got into this in that sermon, but um, work keep here has the idea of guard and to protect. Guard and protect. And actually the same pair of words used of the priests when the tabernacle was being built. The priests were to work it and keep it, guard it and protect it. Um, so it's, a, it's like this priestly activity that we are called to be guarders, helpers, um, or garters in that way. Um, God's calling to the woman there. Then the Lord said, it's not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Genesis 2.18. Um, so again, helper does not mean servant, water boy, women waiting on men, inferiority. It doesn't mean any of that. The Bible, but it says helper fit for him. So if we look at this narrative, there's something different about the calling that he gave a man and the calling he gave a woman. And God is described frequently as our helper throughout the Bible. The Holy Spirit, one part of the Trinity, is actually called the helper. Like they say, hey, refer, Jesus says, the helper will come to you. Um, and so the same idea is, is, is given there. So it can't be inferior if it refers to God in the scriptures. Like it can't be. So it's not an inferior thing. A guard's not greater than the helper. Um, um, if you lo- use these two words from Genesis 2. Um, uh, the, there's a difference between the guard and the helper. Um, primary job of the man in a family is a guarding role. Once again, these aren't absolute statements. These are general statements, okay? Back to the landmines at the beginning. Um, this is also one of the primary reasons why God calls men to be elders as opposed to women. Um, since guarding the church is such an essential aspect of what a man does, or what an elder does, I should say, what an elder does. Um, so there's something about men being called to elders that is, you can trace back to Genesis 1 and 3. I think there's a good case for this. Um, and uh, yeah, so we, so we see this in, in the narrative here and um, this idea of being a guard, a protector. Um, that was one of the Ps, um, Micaiah mentioned, I think. Um, four, love or beloved. 
Genesis 2, 23. Then, then the man said, this is at last bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Genesis 2, 23. Okay. Um, it's the first line of a song. This is actually poetry. If, if you were reading the Hebrew and we kind of understood this, um, this would be poetry. Uh, the man sings and the woman is sung to. Some initiation there. The man initiates, she responds. He is the lover, she is the beloved. Um, and then traditionally, from this point forward, in most cultures, um, again, most of the time, in most cultures, not exclusively, the man asks, talks to the woman's father. He asks for a hand in marriage. Um, when you have, at least in the Christian tradition, traditional vows, the man goes first. He responds in the vows. Um, those things are laid out for a reason, going back to those two roles. Christ in the church, um, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and, become, and they shall become one flesh. Um, and so um, Paul picks his statement up in Ephesians 5. This is a very well-known passage, um, probably the, one of the best passages in the New Testament about man, men and their role. Um, males are designed to, designed to play the role of Jesus, Females designed to play the role of the church. Uh, Jesus leads and lays down his life for the church, and the church responds to, to his love and submits to him. Um, let's see, I got to start speeding it up here. Um, this is important. Um, because a man's role framed this way is on the opposite end of the spectrum of domineering. Okay, this is, this is really important. Um, hopefully, um, there's nothing about our church at least, and nothing that is taught, or hopefully there's no actions that, sh that communicate that men are to dominate or, or be domineering over women. There's a spectrum there. If domineering and abusive is on one end, um, servant leadership modeled as Christ modeled it is on the complete opposite end. Okay, there's like, there's, there's no, there's not even like, there's not even no like, servant leadership's kind of in the middle. No, servant leadership is, is on the very opposite end of domineering and abusive. And if you just think about the relationship between Christ and the church and what he has called men to in marriage, um, domineering, uh, being abusive, um, using our physical stature, using our, our, um, our posture, any of that junk, it should, it should hopefully cause us to want to just throw up when we think of the way Jesus loved the church. Like, if you just look at the Gospels, like, it's... Like, there's absolutely no place for um, men to abuse um, the role that's been given to us. Um, and so I, I really want to hammer that hard. Um, a true masculine question to ask, how can I lovingly and sacrificially lay my life down for the people in my life? Those of you who are not um, married, um, you start by, I think, doing that for your friends and by the church, your roommates. Um, and learning how to, to truly lay down your life for other people. Um, I think that's a good training ground for, um, for working this out in marriage as Ephesians 5 is, is aiming at. Um, representative, beneficiary. Um, but the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? Um, and, and actually, if, if you notice that narrative, um, the 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 command to not eat was given to the man, um, not to Eve, but to the man. And then it says, after they sinned, after Eve and then Adam ate of the apple, it says, the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? Okay, talking to Adam. So Eve sinned first, that's clear. And yet God speaks to the man as the representative. Okay, so there's a sense that the man in God's eyes in this narrative is the representative of the couple once again, representative does not mean boss, okay? Um, true masculinity is being the re representative and taking responsibility for um, the family, for the relationship, for the goings-on in um, whatever context this is getting played out in. Um, so, um, I'm going to skip some of this. Um, women are designed to be the beneficiaries of our loving representation, um, Representative is the key to understanding headship. And it's not about who the boss is. Um, it actually is to lead in such a way where people under you will flourish. When you can look at the people under you who are associated with you 
and ask the question, are these people flourishing under my headship and under my representation as um, the leader in that context? Um, it's another interesting one, um, ground and womb, um, something that I didn't really know about or hadn't studied until recently. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I have commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In the pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorn and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat of the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Um, the curse deals with our specific sphere of activity, like I mentioned that a little bit earlier. Um, we see differences between men and women in this curse, and the curse interacts directly with our specific gendered sphere of activity and responsibility. Okay? So, um, qu any questions quickly? We can go on a lot of rabbit trails on a lot of that stuff, I realize it. And so if, there, if it's not like, if, if you want to ask a question, you can ask it out, or you can come talk to me afterwards, and I can guide you to original resources and stuff. Oh. I think um, I mean, it's kind of the, it's the one I think about the most, and this is this is definitely just my opinion. But I think um, I still go back to Christ in the church. I just have a hard time. That is so clear that He has told the men to represent Jesus. Um, that. Um, I think that's the easiest, at least, to grab onto and to look throughout the Gospels. And if we just say, hey, how did Jesus treat people? And if we just loved, led, served our wife in that way, I think we'd be, we'd be doing all right. Um, a lot of these other things are just to help us see that there's a difference between men and women and to actually be able to go to the Scriptures and find that difference, I think. Because I think, I mean, I think most of us in this room would say there's a difference. At least physio physiologically, biologically, like there's a difference. Um, but I think sometimes as we're thinking through our identity, as we're thinking through like um, issues of passivity, like some of us struggle with passivity. Some of us struggle, struggle with anger. Some of us struggle with um, maybe losing our temper too quick, being short with our wives. Um, and I think a lot, as I said at the beginning, a lot of that I think has to do with how you were formed and raised growing up and some of that baggage that, that comes with that. Um, but I think if, it's, if that is seen through the context of, of Christ and the church, I think at least we have um, an aim. We have a compass that allows us, because a lot of these are more theological and a little bit more, um, what is the Bible trying to get at? when it's talking about the differences between men and women. And I don't think I have to convince you of that, but I think it does help to be able to say, like, where does the Bible talk about differences between men and women other than biologically? And this, the, I think these are some really good insights to, if you want to dig into them, dig into them um, about what God was up to in Genesis 1 to 3. So anything else? Quentin, Chris, any questions back there? You're good? Okay. All right. What does it mean to lead like Jesus? Um, I'll go quick through this. Um, ugh, i got to figure this out. Obviously, I've never put together a PowerPoint before because I didn't even think about screens. Um, it fit on my computer screen. It should fit on this screen, I think. Um, anyway, um, Sam, you'll have to teach me how to do this next time. Um, yeah, if you can edit it and just bump it up, that would be helpful. Well, I can't manually pull it down anymore, right? You've it's set. Okay. Yeah. Um, here's the deal. Okay. So um, John 13, one through three. Um, I think this is a really insightful passage when it comes, when you're talking about Jesus and we're asking the question, what does it mean to lead like Jesus? And we could study all throughout the gospels and find different things regarding that. Um, but I love this passage because of what's happening. And it's just so clearly how much Jesus is giving up in this situation. That 
I think sometimes we just skip over because it's, it's pretty popular, pretty famous, this passage. It's the feet washing. Um, but I'm just going to read the first three verses for the sake of time. Um, it says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, this is the important part, Jesus knowing, so he knew, knew that the Father had given all things into his hands. So God has given him all things. The, the, the world, the cosmos, the universe, every hair on every person's head, like that was the level of authority that Jesus had. So he, so, and that's a, that's a, that's a participle, that's an action that's happen, happening in the present and it continues into the future. So this is a, that's a strong word there, knowing that the father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God. He was going back to God. So all of that rose from the supper. He laid aside his garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. And then we know the story. He, I'll just read verse five. Then he poured out water into a basin, began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And, um, more so than that culture that even today, that feels weird to you guys washing a bunch of your buddy's feet today. I mean, that's a pretty big deal today. But back then for a, a guy like Jesus, a great teacher, a rabbi, um, an older man to actually get down on the ground and do such a, um, and you've heard stories about the feet and the sandals and how dirty their feet are. And I guess know all that because they didn't have the kind of shoes we had. And to do, like to do what he did the key there is at the beginning of verse three, knowing all that was given to him in authority. This comes back to us connecting to Ephesians five. We've been given a huge responsibility. And we should know that as Jesus knew that. And yet if Jesus was able to give up everything here in the moment, give up his dignity, give up his cleanliness, um, and to wash his disciples' feet. Um, this is the model for our leadership. If there was ever like a model for what, what sums up how we should lead, just not just your wife, but I think anybody that comes into contact with you, this is, I think, the essence of Christian leadership. Understanding and owning and embracing the calling that we have as men, but then quickly being able to give that away Give that authority away to set the authority aside. In that authority, actually get down on our knees and serve and love the people around us. And no matter what it takes. Um, and so I just love this picture. I think it just adds some weight to Ephesians 5. Because yes, we know he went to the cross. Yes, we know he suffered a horrific death on, on behalf of the church. And I think that's good. But I just love here that like it's, it, it makes, John makes, uh, makes it clear here when he's writing this. And it's interesting, he, 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 he was the one that was closest to Jesus. So he kind of had behind the scenes knowledge in this, in this gospel, we know. But he just, he, he says he knows that the father um, had given him all things, given him all authority. And yet he um, chose to treat the disciples in this way. So I just love uh, the picture of this. Um, go to my notes. Chris, what's that title say? What? Okay. Roles and responsibilities of men. Okay, so getting more, getting more practical here. Um, so rule the earth. A lot of this is based off, this is kind of the practical coming out of what we talked about earlier. Uh, stepping into God's good design by creating, cultivating, and ruling over the earth. Um, bringing order, dominion, and fruitfulness to the spheres in which you live. It's personal life, vocation, home, church, friendships. Um, here it says... Um, to more fully embrace your masculinity, ask yourselves this question. What is currently ruling over me that I am actually called to rule over? So what's currently ruling over you that you're actually called to rule over? Um, because if you're called to, I think this another word that kind of sums this up is self-control. Like to have self-control in your life. So what is controlling you? What is ruling you rather than you controlling it? I mean, this could go, these are big categories. These are kind of areas of, of spheres here, but I would even go down to like, what's your phone doing to you? 
What's technology doing to you? What's entertainment doing to you? What is um, politics doing to you? Whatever your thing is, um, kind of connects to idolatry. But I think this goes back to, as men, like this is our role to, to rule over, again, like Jesus, dominion. Those are big, strong words, but they're all in the context of, of leading like Jesus. So that's ruling. Next, uh, guard and protect those around you. Um, um, oh, let's stop here. Um, yeah, real quick. What else do you think it means to guard and protect those around you? What does it mean by that? What are some of the ways we can guard and protect those around us? Just throw them out. Uh, preparation. Have the people around you help them prepare. Okay. For, I guess, whatever you think they could be facing. Okay. I can see that with raising George. It's like, you're kind of looking at his life, what's coming for him. You'll probably be parenting a lot out of, we've got to get him ready for this. See, preparing. It's good. It's a horribly worded question. Sorry about that. Just don't look at the question. That's confusing. Financial, okay. That's an aspect of it, for sure. Guarding and protecting. What, what else? Okay. Like rather than kind of the, the leftovers. Yeah. Like if I'm, if I'm honest, most of my most of my creativity and energy goes into work related things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so when I come home, it's kind of like chill. Like, what do you want to do? I don't care. <laughs> yeah. You want to know? And, and so uh, I do. I mean, I do have some things that are intentional about. Usually, those things are like school related things with the kids. Then like reading with them or doing that. I think it's, uh, yeah, oftentimes we use, I think we look at, um, we hear time a lot as a currency and how we like manage our time. But I think more important than time, it's energy. Because I can, I mean, for me at least, it's, it's not too difficult to give my time to my family. Um, but to give my energy to my family, that's, that's what's really, really hard. To, to truly come home and be able to have some left in the tank or dip into reserves or whatever. Because yeah, more than likely, um, I mean, if, if pre-kids, you know, talk about if your wives may work before you have kids, so she's gonna be tired too. If after you have kids and she's at home, she will for sure be tired. So y'all both come home, lock eyes, and y'all are both exhausted. So who makes the first move? Well, like kind of Sam said, it's, it's, it's us. We need to make the first move in that like, those little decisions that maybe what are, what's going to add value tonight to our family? And, um, yeah, and I think, I think that's a really good one, Sam, that just in the day-to-day, um, how do we do that? It doesn't always have to be, like, how many of us have, an, have the intruder story? Like, really have the intruder story where we go and, like, you know, in our minds at least, just kick the dude's butt and tell him to get out of here and we defend our wives. Like, more than likely, we're not going to have to do that. So what is that? So I think this is important. Like, what, what does this actually look like, not in theory, but in actual, actual reality? Um, I think that's good. For the sake of time, let's keep going. Um, so kind of categories here. Um, and I'm trying um, to try to stay not just in, in the context of marriage. Um, so garden protects those around you. Single women, friends community, church, like as men, you can protect, obviously protect each other. Um, guarding and protecting means bringing physical, emotional, and spiritual safety and protection to the people in your life. Um, I think read those things, physical, emotional, spiritual safety and protection and refusing to bring any physical, emotional, sexual, or spiritual harm to any women. Um, 
the, the, what's cut off there is um, three, refusing to devalue and objectify women through pornography. We'll talk about that in a couple weeks. Um, being willing to say hard things in love to friends um, that we see airing. So in Fight Club, in Missional Community, as other buddies you have, like um, this is the way we can protect, not just in the context of our, um, of our romantic relationships or marriage, but in other ways as well. Um, sacrificial, lay down your life for those, lay down your life, lay your life down for those in your life. Um, Jesus' best example of this, um, Paul, who's a single man, gave his life away for those around him. We're seeing that in, a, in Philippians right now as we preach through that. Um, last one there is um, your posture must be one of sacrificial service to those around you, including other men. So if you're not married, then you can practice by laying your life down for other people in the body, especially other men. Um, we shouldn't scoff at that. We shouldn't be sheepish about that. We should be willing to... Um, do some of the same things we would do for our wives, um, for other men, and just watching out for their souls, asking them hard questions, encouraging them, those kinds of things. Um, lastly, um, taking responsibility for those in your care. Um, kind of, again, ties back to the seven things we talked about earlier, but God designed men to be representatives. Um, and so, um, but Genesis wasn't just talking about Marriage, and we see other examples in the scripture from Paul, other guys. It's not just marriage that God, that that, that he's calling men to. So you guys in this room who aren't married, um, it's not just in the context of marriage. It's you're called to be representatives um, everywhere, and so um, just take that uh, responsibility seriously. Um, and um, yeah, we see in Adam was cut off there, Adam directly opposed his own masculinity when he shifted the blame to Eve. I mean, that was just a blatantly um, kind of sheepish thing to do. Um, sorry, I'm going through this too fast. Um, yeah, Adam's sitting there turning, and he clearly just says, like, like she, she did it. She, she, she ate of the fruit and just completely advocated his, his responsibility and representation in that moment. Um, so you take responsibility for those under your care. Um, Let's do this. Um, let's see. Married man. So that was kind of for everyone, specifically for married men. Um, lead your wife and your children like Jesus leads the church. Love your wife. Sacrificially lead your wife. Being willing to lay down your, your, your uh, preferences for your family. Um, let's get to this. What headship is not. We've covered some of this already. But um, husbands were never commanded to rule their wives, but to love them. Um, headship is never portrayed as scripture as a means for self-satisfaction or self-exaltation. Um, it's not the power of a superior over an inferior. Um, it's, never, it's never to be identified with the issuing of commands. So we're never called to command our wife around or order our wife around. Um, Jesus initiated those things with us and we respond to him. So it's never us from above saying, Hey, this, do here, do this like a commander would. It's, it's actually in the, with your wife, shoulder to shoulder with your wife, leading her and her following you based off of your leadership. So it's never, hey, do this, do that. Um, it's always follow me as um, I lead the family. Um, and it doesn't mean that the husband must make every decision in the home. And you guys who have been married for, Kevin, have you, has, has she, I mean, Kevin, how long have you been married? Two, two months? Nine. Not even two months. Okay. So. Have you made all the decisions? Okay, it's two months, two months, okay? So um, that's pretty obvious, and so I don't know, like I don't know why that one's so hard for, maybe that's hard for people, it's just like in every situation, like there's never been a time in my life, in, in, in 13 years of marriage at least, that I, have, that I have played, I am the head of the household, submit to me in this decision. Like I've never ever had to play that card. And so I, I, if you're having to play that card, in your marriage, I think something is, something's off there, something's wrong. Um, so what headship is, uh, more responsibility than a right. Um, this is John Stott's quote. Um, if headship means power in any sense, then it is power to care, not to crush, power to serve, not to dominate, power to facilitate, self-fulfillment, not to frustrate or destroy it. 
In all this, the standard of the husband's love is to be the cross of Christ on which he surrendered himself even to death in his selfless love for his bride. That'll, that'll preach. That'll motivate. Um, three, headship is not the power of, of a superior over an inferior. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm on the wrong. Keep going back and forth between this side. Um, headship is, is the responsibility to lead your family into the fullness of what God outlines for Christians in the Bible. Um, I think Micaiah, kind of what you said a minute ago, like, they're, like God's forming us and he uses this in the context of marriage. Um, he uses marriage to sanctify us. So if your wife is not being sanctified in the marriage, then I think that's probably an issue. And just at least a, an area to say, well, why is my wife not thriving under my leadership in our home? And it doesn't mean maybe you're doing something necessarily wrong, um, but I think you have a responsibility to at least monitor that, ask questions. Hey, how you doing? How's the Lord speaking to you? Um, what do you learn and how do you, what, what do you feel designed to volunteer in the church? How can I help you see your gifts thrive in the church? Um, and those kinds of things. Um, five, headship does not mean, or headship does mean that husbands have a responsibility to make a final decision on matters where agreement cannot be reached. Um, once again, though, um, usually the way, the way this happens, um, I think that's a principle, but how that actually comes about typically is um, if we are in disagreement, we, we don't make a decision. <laughs> we go, we, we pray more or we, we, we split up and we think and pray more. And usually in that situation, one of us moves towards the other enough to say, you know what? I'm not really feeling like one way stronger than the other on this anymore. Like you feeling strong about it? Okay, then let's go that way. But just know biblically, there's a, there's a kind of a, a, a responsibility of, of headship in some ways that you are taking responsibility for the decision for your family, regardless of how that decision came to pass. Um, this is where passivity is not a good thing. So if you're like letting your, just kind of holding off, letting her make all the decisions, God's holding you accountable in some sense to those, to those decisions. So to engage her, to figure out how to disagree, to figure out how to pray apart and, and hear from God enough to be able to come back and make, um, make really hard decisions. And so, and we've had some really hard decisions to make as those of you who've been married for any length of time know, but um, God usually works out if we're patient that we can come to a peace on a decision. And I don't think there's one time where I can look back that I'm like, well, I shouldn't have let her make that decision. I, I honestly, in, in a big decision we prayed about and all those things, I, I can't think of one. And so um, there is a responsibility there, but it often plays out, at least in my home, differently than that. Now, this is where missional community, being in a community, a close community of, of, of believers will help in making these decisions. Like you can bring them in on the things. Um, two more. Uh, headship involves gentleness and sensitivity. And headship means honoring, loving, and caring for your wife and your children. Um, it. Yeah. Um, and then just, uh, this is not a talk necessarily on the gospel, um, but we should all know that the gospel gives us our primary identity. Like we're Christians, followers of Jesus, adopted sons of God before we are husbands, before we are fiancés, before we are roommates. Like the gospel gives us our primary identity. And if you're... Um, if you're, if you're not doing well as um, a husband or you feel like you're not doing well as a man or these things on this list maybe were convicting or it was just overwhelming, then just trust that um, there's forgiveness in the gospel and you have your identity in Jesus, not in how good of a husband um, or father, uh, father or, or man you are. Um, and so just um, we'll, 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 the gospel will come up in the next two weeks for sure. Uh, but... Um, yeah, I didn't have time necessarily to, to walk through necessarily how the gospel connects to these things. But it's clear, I think, from Ephesians 5 that that is a beautiful picture of the gospel. Um, and so just, um, yeah. One uh, quick, th one thing that this is kind of a side note and um, I didn't have time to really get into it. But I, one of my prayers for at least the men in this church is that, um, is that we would learn to talk about um, like deep things 
like not just together, but also to our wives and to our kids. Like we would be men of depth and be men that are um, in touch with our emotions. That if we took a, um, like a percentage of like all of our conversation, maybe outside of work, because they'd leave our work aside, but all of our conversation outside of work, how many, what percentage of that time would be devoted to, let's call them deeper things in our life versus um, more surface trivial things. And I'll just say entertainment, sports, politics, weather, how you've been, like that's, that's, that's small talk, that's good, but can you talk about things underneath that? And that I'd really love for the men of this church to be men who could um, talk about these things and and be and, and feel safe and secure to open up. And I think that starts with your wives. I think that for sure starts with your wives. Like I, it's great to I think have that uh, the man to man thing we have that hopefully that we're, we're continuing to have at the church. But I think it starts with our wives. And I'm guessing. I know if you asked Nicole, she would say the same thing. But if you asked your wives, what are, what's one thing that you would want more from your husband? I'm guessing a lot of them would say, um, I, I want them to go deeper with me. Like I want them to, to um, be more vulnerable with me, to talk about deeper issues with me, um, and to engage me at that level too. Because we're never going to be able to engage other people at that depth if, if we're not willing to, to kind of go there ourselves. Um, and um, yeah, maybe some of your, those of you who are married, maybe some of your issues, if you, if you have issues in your, in your marriage, maybe they come back to this, um, just being able to, um, to, to, uh, to talk through that. But um, there are a few other things, but I'll uh, open up for questions just in case there's questions. Um, I know I opened the fire hose tonight, but, um, and I have notes for all this. And so if you want that, then come up and let me know. And um, yeah, questions. Thoughts? Do y'all think about the question, what does it mean to be a man? Like, does that come to your mind, like, very often? Okay, that's good. I think it should. Um, And I would say the second question, when it comes to your mind, if if it goes to, like, baggage quicker than it goes to like confidence. Like I, I would, I would talk, talk to someone about that, whether that's fight club or that's MC, because I think, I think at that point, a lot of us will, that's where like shame kind of it comes in. I think that's where, um, we feel inadequate. Um, maybe we're afraid. Um, and I think all of us probably have, I know I have those, those things, uh, for sure. Um, especially as it relates to God, are you proud of me? Or, or like, can I, can I, or God, are you really proud of me as a, as a man? Um, and the gospel says absolutely yes. Um, but the next layer above the gospel is, I think, how am I actually living as a man? And hopefully from anything tonight you got, like one, there's a difference between you, men and women. And two, um, that list of like ought to's, like if, if, if you feel any shame or guiltiness for any of the oughts that you're not living up to of men, then I, I mean, that's okay. Like there's no, there's very few like um, ought to's that our culture has about men that actually are what the Bible values in men. Like we, hopefully you know that, but our culture tells us and our childhood tell us, um, there's this one story, um, the women aren't done yet, so I'm, I'm, I'm taking advantage. Um, so like um, one story I heard um, from a guy, and I'll, I'll give you um, the name of the video because I think it's really helpful. But he's talking about in childhood, you have this scene that plays out all the time on playgrounds. You have a group of guys. You, have, you find the, the, the kid who is most likely to get picked on. And you have potentially uh, and one bully. And the bully gets a group of kids to kind of like follow him because at that age, we just want to follow somebody. It's a kind of a mob mentality. So the bully ends up picking on the kid, you know, with words or physically or whatever. And then everyone but the bully, there's like a thing that happens in their minds in that moment, the first time they witness that. And in a little kid's mind on the elementary school playground, 
almost every time it's, that looks awful. And I'm never, ever going to let that happen to me. So I'm not going to be weak. I'm not going to be like that kid. And it's not this like value decision that an elementary kid has. Like that kid, this kid's cool and this kid's uncool. Like that's, that's like high school, like crap. But like elementary school, it's like, no, there's, there's, there's something about that is wrong and I don't ever want to be there. So I'm going to be a follower of the bully and, and kind of remain reserved. And I'm not going to be like this kid because I don't want to be like him because he just got like embarrassed. And, and so that, that sets us on a course as boys to like that, even that instant right there can shape us into the men we are today. And so that's just a little example of how, um, of, of how that plays out. And I, and I would, I haven't been on a playground in a long time, but I can imagine that playing out quite a bit on elementary school playgrounds, just the, the survival of the fittest in elementary school amongst little boys. Um, and so, so yeah, but, um, yeah. Any other questions? There's just that was kind of meaningful when I heard that. Well, feel free to ask me questions. Um, and next week we're talking about work. It'll be a panel. Um, let's see. We're going to be bouncing back forth in rooms. Um, I think next week we will be in here again because we'll have a panel. And this is definitely better for a panel. And I think the last week we'll probably be down there because the third week the ladies are having a panel. So they'll be in here. Um, and tonight I wanted slides and Nicole wanted tables. So it worked out. That's why they're in there with the table. So, um, Anything else? Okay. Sam, will you close us in prayer? Thanks, man.